1: Des's Island Discs
0: on RTE Radio 1. Today's visitor to the island is a broadcaster, journalist, playwright. It's a pleasure to welcome Fiona Looney. And Fiona, I see you began your journalism career writing for Hot Press magazine. That always gives me the impression of being much more exciting than working for a regular newspaper.
1: Oh, it really was, Des. And I didn't go to... I suppose what you would call conventional university. I did a year in journalism college and then I was lucky enough to get that job in hot press. So I hightailed it into full time work at the the tender age of 18. But in a way, hot press was like college for me. And it was as much like being in a theatre rep company as it was in an actual proper job. I was lucky enough that my colleagues included Arthur Matthews and Graham Linehan, who obviously went on to write Father Ted. Declan Lynch was a colleague of mine, and there were all these great creative minds all kind of trapped into the top floor of a building on Wicklow Street in Dublin. We were all big music fans, obviously, but inevitably we would just endeavour to make each other laugh and, you know, to to outsmart each other and to come up with the more ridiculous scenarios we could find. And eventually that became something that moved the stage. And Paul Woodfall, or Paul Wonderful as we used to call him back then, he came and joined, he joined the company and he put together the Joshua Trio, which was like a kind of a, I suppose, a tribute to you 2 back in the day. And we all started contributing bits of kind of comedy and songs and sketches. And we used to do shows in the Baguette Inn. So it, it was kind of... I have to say, when I look back now and it's a long time ago, it was the least appropriate Mm -hmm. entry to the workplace I could have had because it really wasn't a proper job. And everything since then, I've kind of gone, oh, this is actually not as much fun as my first job, but it was terrific. It was a great learning experience.
0: I can imagine. And and so different. And and you were to continue. I mean, later with Jerry Ryan, et cetera, you you kind of still had that role of you could come in and have the crack kind of. uh, It's a very lucky and unique place in journalism.
1: Yeah, I suppose journalism with a very small J, because it's funny, actually, I remember not long after I left Hot Press, I got a job in the Sunday World and I had been in the Sunday Tribune in the meantime, which was a paper that, I loved and I loved reading it when I was growing up. And I kind of thought for a while, I'm a proper journalist now. And then I got a column in The Sunday World and I remember the night before it started, I was at home and there was a TV ad which I didn't even know they were doing for my new column. The name Fiona Looney appeared on the screen and the two O's kind of dropped out. They were I's and they sort of dropped out on springs. Yeah. And I remember looking at this and going, it's really unlikely I'm going to ever be asked to interview the Archbishop of Dublin now, <laughs> like that's the end of my proper journalistic <laughs> mm-hmm. career. But look, you know, I suppose I've been blessed in that. I have an ability, it seems, to make people laugh, or at least I hope I do. And it, it, it like it is one of the great things, you know, if you can make people happy and you can make people sad, why on earth would you want to make them sad?
0: Why did you leave Hot Press, given it was like a oh, playground?
1: I left. Well, I mean, Hot Press for me was a bit like the Hotel California. You know, you could check out any time, <laughs> but you could never leave. I mean, I still would see some of my probably most of my formative friendships date from that time. So I still feel as if I'm very much in a kind of a Hot Press orbit. But I actually left around 1987, though I did freelance work for them after that. But we kind of, so I wasn't there for all that long. I was there for about three years in total. But it kind of carried me through and I worked with the same colleagues again, you know, be it in journalism or in radio. I mean, a lot of those people went into radio. And as you say, you know, I started working with Jerry around that time. I knew Jerry from Hot Press. And so when Jerry got his show, it was kind of a natural thing that I would, I suppose, continue conversations that I had started with them in, hot, in the hot press days on air. So it, it never felt like a huge leap. You know, these, they always felt like kind of little sidesteps rather than great leaps into the unknown.
0: Yeah, we'll chat about Jerry Ryan in a moment. But so people listening now say hot press. OK, this would be a very interesting musical choice. Now, your first one couldn't be further from hot press, in my humble opinion.
1: (laughs) My first choice, I know I've gone really left field. Um, I have to say an artist I really, really like for a million reasons is Jimmy Crowley. Mm -hmm. Um, And I suppose it's my Cork heritage coming out. I mean, most people will know Jimmy is a a ferocious Corkman. Uh, And I mean that in the best possible way. So I myself am the product of a Cork father and a Dublin mother, which I once heard the comedian David McSavage describing as the worst of both worlds, (laughs) Um, but uh, it worked for me. And one of the things that my dad gave me, I suppose as a very young child, like, you know, we thought we were from Cork. We were growing up in Dublin and we were convinced we were from Cork because Cork GAA was everything in the house and, you know, like we lived and breathed it. And like I can remember my father bringing me to Croke Park for the first time when I was about four years old. And uh, the only reason I was there at all was because he wanted to bring my brother, who was only a year older than me. So we were kind of, you know, we came as a job lot, very much the Irish twins thing. And my dad, bless him, was, you know, very typical of an Irish man of his generation. He had three daughters and one son and he really didn't care if the girls liked the GAA or not, but it was very important to him that his boy would love it and play it. So come the glorious day, I was kind of dragged along to, to make up the numbers. And my dad, my dad actually only told me this story when he was dying. And it's funny, I mean, I do remember it myself very vividly. And ironically, my brother doesn't remember it at all. He bought us each a bag of sweets and we went into Croke Park and obviously this is the old Croke Park. But you know the way you go up the steps to come out into the arena? Yeah. We walked up and the noise was just deafening. And I remember walking out and that first glimpse of like almost a kind of a, a framed picture of this huge stadium full of people. And I just I was, I'll say, about four years of age. And I just remember thinking this is it. And I was sold and absorbed. And my dad told me years and years later that he watched his five year old son sitting there enthusiastically eating sweets and looking around and asking for more sweets. And I just sat there glued to the football. And to my dad's great surprise and, you know, probably to a little, dis- his little disappointment, mm. he told me that he looked at us that day and he said, not that one, that one. Yeah. And he only told me that when he was on his when he was dying. And, I, I it's a, you know, he gave me so much. He gave me Cork. He gave me the GAA, but he also gave me the Boys of Kilmichael, which was kilmichael my dad was from mccroom and kilmichael as they say in that part of the world was only out the road and of course this is where the tom barry ambush famously happened during the war of independence and of course it's where collins later was done for yeah. des's island discs
0: on rte
1: radio one
0: that's jimmy crowley and remember the boys of kilmichael the choice of today's guest fiona looney Beautiful tribute to your father, I have to say, that uh, the tune lingers with his family after he's gone. That's that's lovely. Getting back to your journalism career or what do we call it? It is journalism. But you went into radio, as you said, and you grew with the Jerry Ryan show as it went from a small programme into a massive vehicle.
1: Yeah, and it was very experimental at the start. You know, people look back. Obviously, people remember the later years when it was a huge juggernaut of a show and and you know was all the advertising i mean i can remember going into that show and i think one of the reasons jerry and i got on as well as we did was we would always talk through the ad breaks you know obviously when we were all fair and at the height of it those ad breaks could be 6 minutes long like which you know was extraordinary now but at the very start nobody really knew what the show was going to be. Nobody knew what to make of Jerry. Bear in mind, he had kind of got the show off the back of the whole Lambo thing, which was bananas, obviously. And I, like to be fair, I think 2FM took an awful lot on trust that, that Jerry would deliver quality broadcasting. And I knew him, though not terribly well, before that. And I knew he was good crack. And I knew that he had he had kind of comedy bones and it would be possible to kind of to go down roads with Jerry and go down roads together that probably we wouldn't be allowed go down you know se- either separately or with other people mm-hmm. so i look back on it with such incredible fondness and joy really for my role you know in that show and and in Jerry's life because obviously we became great friends as a result of it but you know i think better than anyone jerry understood the possibility of radio you know it's it's a bit of a cliche people say radio is the theater of the mind but it is true you can paint any kind of a picture on radio and people We'll just go with it. You know, we used to pretend we were naked half. Well, not half the time. That would have been excessive. Um, But sometimes.
0: (laughs) It was juvenile. (laughs) (laughs) Extremely. And all the while, I mean, you were a columnist from almost when you began a long time ago. I'm fascinated, Fiona Looney, that columnists, columnists needs to have something to say every week. Now, there must be weeks when you don't have something to say or feel strongly about something. That can't be easy as a columnist.
1: It's not easy. And I suppose I've been writing, as you say, I've been writing weekly columns for, gosh, 30 odd years. Mm. And all I can say is I I don't run out of ideas. I mean, sometimes I am staring at the blank screen and I'm going, I, I have to have an idea within the next hour or I'm in big trouble. But you'll always find something, you know, you kind of between your own life, your own experiences, stuff you hear. I'm a great fan of public transport because you can pick up so many things and not just for columns, you know, I've picked up stuff for plays and for other comedy things that I've done just from earwigging, you know, (laughs) to people sitting on buses and the crazy conversations they have and You know, I remember many years years ago being on a, a Dublin bus. I don't know if you remember the old Donnelly sausages factory. Yeah. Yeah. In the Coombe there. And they stopped producing sausages, I think, when I was a child. But I remember a few years ago going past it on the bus and there were two older women on the bus in front of me. And there was a film unit set up outside the old factory. And one of the women said to the other, says, oh, look, Mary, they're making a film there. And the other one said, is it about sausages? <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I just thought, you literally could not make that up. So, you know, you 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 pick up stuff like that. You just keep your ears open and you pick up stuff. Up. Nosiness. It's pure
0: nosiness, really. Your second musical choice, Fiona Looney. Top loaders.
1: My second musical choice. This actually dates from my first play, which was Dandelions. And I remember I kind of almost fell into writing plays by accident I had I'd written a couple of radio plays and I'd written some radio comedy series and a, a few bits for TV and I was asked in 2003 to write a play for Landmark Productions who were just starting out they've since become this absolute tour de force in Irish theatre. Initially declined because I had very young children and life was insanely busy But eventually I gave in and I I wrote Dandelions and I'm so glad I did, because first of all, it it, it was hugely successful for me. It was very good to me. And uh, I mean, we sold 80,000 tickets to that show, which broke all manner of records for commercial theatre, non-musical commercial theatre at the time. Uh, But aside from that, it was an absolute joy to work on. And all the plays that I subsequently did, I've just I've I love working with theatre people. They're beautifully bonkers and there is a kind of a generosity to them. You know, I had come from newsrooms and from a kind of a print background where, you know, you're more likely to get a punch in the face than a hug in a lot of newsrooms. And suddenly I was in this world where it's all lovey and, you know, and it is lovey. It's the cliche, but it is like that. And everyone loves each other and it's all happiness and hugging and all that. And it was just such a pleasure to be in that world. And I've such fond memories of of Dandelions in particular, because it was the first one, that amazing cast of Paulie Madeleine and Deirdre O'Kane and Keith Duffy and Dawn Bradfield. And we all just got on so well together. And this song is actually in Dandelions and it just brings me right back. Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1
0: That's Top Loader and Dancing in the Moonlight the choice of today's guest Fiona Looney You've written how many you've written five or six plays at this stage haven't you Fiona?
1: Yeah I've, I've had five stage plays produced but I've several more written if anyone wants to produce
0: them <laughs> <laughs> How long does the process take?
1: I it, it well it, it it depends really on 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 the topic or on the subject I mean I write very quickly which I suppose is a kind of a a legacy to working in print for as long as I have done you know where you have deadlines that need to be honored so I can turn stuff around fairly quickly I have a play one of my plays which is a historical drama which was never produced and kind of breaks my heart to be honest that it was never produced But that took about three years to write because of all the research I had to do for it. But I I can turn stuff around kind of within a few weeks, to be very honest. I can do a draft within a few weeks, you know, but it's not, you know, as I say, it's not aside from that historical one. Usually my plays, they tend to be contemporary. They're, you know, they're, they're either based on real events like the Are You There, Garth? It's Me, Margaret was about the uh, the cancellation yeah. of the Garth Brooks shows back to Croke Park again. Yeah. Cro- Croke Park is a theme in my life. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. So that took a little bit of research as well, but it, it comes together fairly quickly, I
0: have to say. And what about the historical one that didn't get produced? Was it deemed to be non-commercial or or why, do you think?
1: Yeah, yeah, I suppose ultimately it would have been and it would be an expensive play to put on. I mean, to be very honest, Des, I think there's an element as well that I kind of went out of fashion. It's a pity that I didn't realise I was in fashion until I actually <laughs> went out of fashion. But, I, you know, I think I had had a lot of success with the Dandelions trilogy and... You know, I was getting older and younger writers were coming along and demands were different. But it, I just found it increasingly difficult even to get plays read, to be very honest, let alone to get them produced. So, yeah, it was probably not the most sensible idea for me to then think, right, I'll now devote three years of my life to writing a play about an extremely obscure historical character um, who was a, a, a Georgian actress called Dorothy Jordan. An Irish actress who basically was the consort of the future King William the a real person, obviously, mm. and she had ten children by William the Fourth. This Irish actress, and uh, and obviously she was then obliterated from history when he um, ascended to the throne because Buckingham Palace didn't really want this Irish actress with her ten children straggling after him. It's it's a tremendous story, I have to say. So if you have a couple of million quid to spare. <laughs>
0: Is that the kind of, would it cost an awful lot to put it on it would?
1: It would, it would. well it wouldn't cost a couple of a million but yeah. it would cost a lot I mean I pared it down to try and make, uh, you try and do it as cheaply as possible but it's very difficult to get any sort of theatre made I mean and obviously as we look ahead into the future it's so uncertain yeah. you know will anyone get New theatre made and when, but um, but I, I have to say it was a very rewarding journey writing it, cool. and I'll always have it. And if anyone ever wants it, it's there.
0: Who's to say somebody might might hear this? Let's go to your final musical selection, Fiona.
1: My last musical selection um comes from Conor O'Brien's Villagers, and I thought long and hard about this. It's actually this is one of my favourite songs of the last few years. But it's really inspired by my children who are now, my three children are now grown up. For years and years, I suppose we're all capable of putting on rose-tinted glasses from time to time. But for years when they were growing up, I thought that their very early years were the best time of my life. I loved, the, they're very close together in age, and I loved the chaos of... Mm-hmm when the kids were young and the the manic busyness of it and the, I suppose, the innocent joy. And as I was watching them growing, I was kind of going, that time is gone now. And I, you know, I, I love them at this stage, but that was the best stage. In the last couple of years, I've really found that I'm enjoying Them being grown ups, maybe even more than I did, you know, more than I enjoyed them as as babies or as children. And one of the things that bonds us is music. There's an awful lot of music in this house, you know, and like their dad is a musician. You know, my own background was surrounded by music and they're all very gifted musicians themselves. And one of the great privileges that I have now is going to gigs with them. And, you know, instead of being the one who kind of says, you know, don't get drunk and don't come home too late, I'm now the one getting drunk and coming out too late, along with them. It's funny, actually, to, to return briefly to Croke Park, where we started, I was actually in 2018. So we were on four in a row. Just to remind people, we now have five in a row. Um, But I was I had been at Electric Picnic and I came back up from Electric Picnic on the morning of the All-Ireland Final with my son, who comes to all the games with me now, and our plan was we'd go back down to EP straight afterwards. At halftime, I was shattered between the the journey and the weekend we had and the the rest of the weekend in Prospect. And I just turned to Keen at halftime and I said, listen, I don't think I'm going to go back down. And he was horrified and he said, you have to come down. You're a mad joke. <laughs> and I remember at the time thinking, is that a good thing?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: that... I don't remember reading that as kind of sound parenting advice in any of the books. But, you know, it's a privilege, I suppose. Your kids, they don't cho- choose you as a parent. And if they do choose you as a friend, what an extraordinary privilege Mm -hmm. that is and I've chosen this song because villagers we all love villagers in this house they happen to be a band I've seen separately with all three of my children and I just love this song
0: Fiona Looney we're going to play out with Trick of the Light thank you so much for joining us it was great to have a chat with you thank you
1: thank you Des Des's Island Discs on RTE Radio 1